You're out of your mind. There is no way that LeBron will ever beat Jordan. Nobody will ever beat Jordan, okay? Okay, LeBron's a better rebounder and passer. Will you let me finish? Can you, can you let me finish? Call me when LeBron has six championships. That's your only argument? It's the only argument I need, Sean! Yo, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the inaugural episode of Technical Talk. This is a new podcast where we're going to try to tie together the eye test of the NBA and its players and compare them to up-to-date statistical performances and see how the data points and trends can drive the next generation of statistical basketball analysis to help us understand the game further than just a glance at the normal box score of points, rebounds, and assists. Enough of that. Let's get into the actual pod for today. Brittany Griner came home on Thursday, and she is finally back in the United States. President Biden held a news conference on Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m., Eastern Standard Time, and I quote, Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe, she's on a plane, and she's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and she should have been there all along. Unquote. Just a brief summary and timeline of the events and what originally happened to Brittany Griner and how she was detained in Russia for so long. She was detained for a total of 294 days since February 17th of this year. On February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine, which forced the U.S. to impose sanctions, which heavily complicated the negotiation process. On March 5th, news publicly broke of Griner's detainment to the general public and they carried a maximum penalty of 10 years. On March 6th, the U.S. began began the efforts to bring Brittany Griner home. Secretary, Secretary of State Blinken committed to bringing detained Americans in Russia home. On March 17th, Russia extended Griner's detention, which essentially meant that she could not see a judge for at least three months until May 19th. On March 23rd, the U.S. finally had their first formal visit with Griner in person, and the initial reports come out of her doing well. On April 27th, the first technical show of progress comes from Russia and the United States with the release of former Marine Trevor Reed. If you do not know who Trevor Reed was and is, sorry, Trevor Reed was a former U.S. Marine who had been held in Russia since August of 2019. He was unexpectedly released from Russian custody in exchange for a Russian national, Konstantin Yeroshenko, who was serving a 20-year sentence here in the United States for drug smuggling. This exchange was the first hopeful sign for Griner's family that a diplomatic channel remains open between the two countries despite the war that was going on and currently is still going on in Ukraine. On May 3rd, the U.S. declared Grindful, Griner excuse me, a wrongful detainee. May 13th comes around. Griner's sentence was extended 30 days, and there is the first talks of a possible trade for a Russian arms dealer, Victor Bout. Early June, the U.S. secretly offers a first trade for the release, which Russia declines. Then July comes. Griner's trial begins July 1st, 2022. On July 7th, Brittany Griner pleads guilty to charges in Russia. It's seen 
as a strategy move, as an overwhelming number of convictions in Russia are seen as guilty. On July 27th, the U.S. supposedly makes significant offer to Russia, so says, so said Secretary of State Blinken. On August 4th, Griner is given nine years. On November 9th, Griner is moved to an unknown penal colony in Mordova. And on December 8th, the Griner swap is finally confirmed, bringing the 10-month situation to a close. <clears throat> it is very nice to have Brittany Griner back home in the U.S. where she belongs, and I am very happy to see that she arrived safely. Without further ado, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this pod today. We're going to do a two-night recap. We're going to start on Thursday, the first game. Clippers and Heat tipped off at 5.30. Mountain Time, 4.30 Pacific, and 7.30 Eastern Time. And paint points would truly just show themselves in this game. Before I start this recap, I have to just implore you guys to go look up a picture of Jimmy Butler on the Miami Heat's 2022-2023 roster, and I just want you to know that Jimmy took his picture with his dreads down, and when I first saw it, I thought that it was a mistake. I was like, NBA TV is not showing Jimmy Butler. In fact, I thought that they had an old stock picture of Precious Achua. So yeah, go Google that picture. (laughs) But the Clippers were on a second night of a back-to-back. The Heat's last game was on Tuesday night. They took an L to the Pistons, 116-96. to Both teams really all this year have had zero consistency in their starting rotations. Uh, Jimmy missed that game on Tuesday night with knee soreness against the Pistons. And really, it would continue. Kyle Lowry had played every single game up to this point in the season. He rested on Thursday night. Gabe Vincent also missed with knee discomfort, and the Clippers also had their injury woes. Kawhi was out, Norman Powell was out, and Terrence Mann was out. Just a quick statistical caveat here. The Clippers are 9-10 this season without Kawhi. Uh, That translates over to about a 47% win percentage, um, and they average 106 points per game. With Kawhi, it is a relatively smaller sample size. They are 5-2 and two with a 71-1% win percentage and an average of 109 points per game. <clears throat> that being said, with so much fluctuation, I feel like this is a really good time to introduce the advanced lineup statistics and to really have a conversation about how they play out in NBA games like this with two teams that have had no consistency. So... In case you're wondering what advanced lineup statistics is, it's just an analysis of various lineups per 100 possessions based on field goal possessions, missed free throw possessions, scoring possessions, and turnovers. That also plays into offensive plus minus, which I may or may not get into today. Um, So let's break down the Heat starting rotation. It was Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Bam Adebayo and Drew Smith. Drew Smith only has 45 minutes his whole NBA career. So to adjust that, I moved down into a smaller sample size of just Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo and Caleb Martin because they have more experience together, obviously, 
and minutes played together this year. Um, Caleb Martin, if you do not know, played two years at the University of Evansville, transferred to Missouri, and went undrafted in 2021 after playing his final two years. Prior to Thursday night's game this season, the Miami Heat's four-man rotation of Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, and Caleb Martin had played 20 games together out of a possible 26. Uh, They have an offensive rating of 103.6, a defensive rating of 102.9, and a 55.9% true shooting percentage. You'll hear me use true shooting percentage to quantify groups and also players down the road on this podcast. Uh, Basically what that is, it's just a measure of the overall shooting efficiency. It takes into account the three main scoring components of basketball, which is the two-point shot, the three-point shot, and free throws. For the Clippers starting rotation, they rolled out Reg Jackson, Nicholas Batum, Paul George, Ivica Zubak, and Marcus Morris. This unit actually has some previous history as a five-man group, so I can highlight that statistically. Um, but it's a relatively small sample size in itself as the Clippers starting unit only had six games played together prior to tonight. Um, excuse me, not tonight, Thursday night. <clears throat> they boasted an offensive rating of 111.8, a defensive rating of 105.7, and a true shooting percentage of 57.8. Note the smaller sample size increases the offensive and defensive rating due to the minutes when in comparison of the four-man rotation. The substitution that were made, the second unit for the Heat was Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, and Drew Smith. We had to again cut down the five-player combination to the four-player combination as Drew Smith you know, only has 45 minutes played. So... In this four-man rotation, it was 64 minutes played in 102.3 offensive rating, 106.3 defensive rating, and a 54.4 true shooting percentage prior to Thursday evening. The Clippers' second rotation for comparison was Luke Kennard, John Wall, Marcus Morris, Paul George, and Ivica Zubak. We only are going to break down, just as a side note, we're only going to break down the first two advanced lineups as we start out here, uh, just to not have a complete overload of data being thrown at you and to reduce the possibility of you falling asleep. (laughs) But moving on to the second unit for the Clippers, they had a previous 44 minutes played, an 109.5 offensive rating, 97.8 defensive rating, and a 53.1 true shooting percentage. Further into the breakdown, man, in the first quarter, the Clippers started out hot. They were three for four from three in the first four minutes, but Miami matched that in the paint. Keep that in mind, the paint, the true story of this game. Their first nine points of the game were in the paint. Moving on to the three-point percentage of the Clippers. They were 5 for 10 in the first quarter. Miami was 0 for 5, which accounted for a pretty good majority. Jimmy Butler really carried the heat with 12 points, as nobody else had more than two. The Clippers took the lead 28 to 20 and did not relinquish it. 
through the remainder of the quarter. Moving on to the second quarter, the Heat's first three actually came at the 11 minute and 18 second mark from Caleb Martin. And really from here, the Heat started to settle into the game. The Clippers also started to have a brief cool off as Miami went on a gigantic 15-2 run at one point. Shooting and scoring production for the Clippers during that run was non-existent, and the turnovers have been a huge problem, and they continue to be a huge problem. Caleb Martin would erupt in this quarter. Five three-point field goals made, and he would end it with 16 points, and the Heat would lead at halftime 56-54. to After halftime, the Clippers maintain their shooting performance from deep. Miami still keeps pace. They heavily, heavily utilized Bam Adebayo. And they would just continue to abuse the painted area. Bam was 7 for 10 inside the paint in the quarter. Jimmy Butler also contributed with two big threes. But on the flip side, Paul George kept this game close almost single-handedly. He went 5 from 8, scored 12 points. And the Clippers retook the lead to end the third quarter, 87-84. In the final frame, the teams continued to trade buckets down the stretch as they became less and less available at the same time. And the game would remain close until around 6-16 when Miami would take a 99-98 lead and never look back. The game really would never get closer than five points the rest of the way. The final would be 115-110. to The performance of the game would be Bam on a bio. He was 14 for 21 with 31 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists. I heavily implore you to go look at Bam on a bio's shot chart as every single shot attempt besides the free throws was in the paint. Next for the Heat will be a matchup on the day that I'm recording this, Saturday, December 10th. The 7-18 and 18 Spurs on the road. And the Clippers will visit the Washington Wizards. If I didn't say Miami for that Spurs game, it's Miami, and I apologize. Other games on Thursday night, the Rockets fell to the Spurs 119 to 108, and the Nuggets beat the Blazers 121 to 120. Now it is time for a segment I like to call the performances of the night. Thursday night's heavenly performances came from obviously Bam Adebayo with that huge 31 point 10 rebound and 4 assists outing against the Clippers. Keldon Johnson's 32.7 rebound and 1 assist outing against the Rockets. And Nikola Jokic's 33 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists night in Portland. Moving on to Friday. Man, Friday's games were awesome, especially the national TV games, but just all around, we had some really interesting games, which are going to fuel some storylines down the road as we get closer and closer to not only the All-Star break, but the trade deadline. I'm just giving you a fair warning. This season is not even close to wrapping up, and we already have some really good, dramatic games. Friday night was no different. The Bucks and the Mavericks tipped off 
in Dallas at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. It was the battle of the MVP favorites and really the two guys that have hogged the MVP discussion this year. Um, international stars Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Quick side note, two of the last four MVPs are international, and this year, besides the addition of two other guys, which we'll mention later in the podcast, doesn't look any different. The Mavs come in at 13-11, and 11, which was good for 7th in the West on Friday, and the Bucks came in at 18-6 and 6, as they were 3rd in the East. Both teams came in also on a three-game win streak. In the first quarter, it was really close and competitive. The Mavs started 7 from 11 from the floor in the first six minutes, while Milwaukee really hung around while simultaneously going 4 of 13. That wouldn't last long, though as offenses would kind of break the lull that they found themselves midway through the lull that they found themselves in, excuse me, midway through the quarter. Um, But that would really just change with Drew Holiday in particular. He started four for four from the floor and two for two from deep, and he ended the quarter with a massive 10 points, but that was no comparison to what we saw from Luka Doncic. Luka averages the highest points in the first quarter, I believe in the history of the NBA, if I'm not wrong, don't quote me on that, with 11 a quarter, a first quarter, 11 points per game. My goodness. Well, he found a way to one-up it. With 16 points, two rebounds, and four assists, the first quarter would stay with the Mavericks, leading by one, 33-32. Moving on to the second quarter, it would start a lot slower than we saw in the first quarter. And we would see a lot of turning of the tables, uh, as it would be the Mavs that would utilize their ball movement to get Christian Wood more involved in the paint. And Milwaukee's first field goal wouldn't come until the seven-minute mark of the quarter, as they started 0 for 9. A couple minutes, it looks like the Mavs would pull away before halftime, and we would have a blowout on our hands. Drew Holiday continued his assault. He had eight straight points, and the quarter would come to a close with the Bucks retaking the lead 52-49, to heading into the halftime break. In the third quarter, we would see both teams start to clamp down on defense as points were way harder to come by. This would again change as the Mavericks would take a shooting advantage as they outstored the Bucks 19-14 in the frame, and it was all highlighted by a huge poster by Luca over Drew Holiday. I highly recommend that you go to the game recap and you watch that poster. My goodness, that is SportsCenter number one written all over it. The third quarter would come to a conclusion with Dallas on top, 84-73. Now, my goodness, the fourth quarter... It was dramatic as they come. The Bucks were slowly chipping away at the lead, but it really didn't feel like it. The Mavericks remained fairly consistent, but they would have some huge problems. They would miss some key layups down the stretch and free throws. I mean, for the night, they only went 10-24. That's 42% if I do that math off the top of my head. But, man, eight of those misses came in the fourth quarter. You, you just can't have that kind of free throw percentage and expect to pull out of a game with a win, especially against a high caliber team like Milwaukee, which doesn't lay down often, if at all. The game would actually see some drama towards the end as well, as Giannis would foul out at the 255 mark 
he would foul out with 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists. But as your first mind would tell you to be true, the impact of Giannis actually had already run its course. The Bucks were actually able to take that momentum and keep the game close, and they completed their efforts when the Mavericks failed to pick up the most basic out-of-bounds play. It was just a straight roll to the basket if you go back and watch the video. Brooke Lopez is standing at about the free-throw line, literally just spins off, and I believe it was Kleba and Hardaway. I'd have to go back. Uh, don't quote me on that either. I'd have to go back and rewatch that sequence, but I, it looks like Tim Hardaway Jr. just got lost, or Maxi Kleba didn't pick up Brooke Lopez, and man, that would cost them, as he would lay the ball in with seven seconds. The Mavericks would call a subsequent timeout to advance the ball, and would run quite possibly the worst out-of-bounds look I have ever seen. Luka was literally, he receives the ball on the left sideline from the camera angle that we're given on <clears throat> TNT. I mean, not TNT, excuse me, ESPN. And it's an inbound. Drew Holiday's defending him. And there's no movement by the Mavericks. Like, there's movement of, I believe a player goes from the left corner to the right corner, but there's no type of action, no type of ball screen, no type of anything to try to free up a better quality shot. So Luka just ends up heaving a 30-foot three-pointer that clangs off the right side of the backboard. He looks over to the bench at Jason Kidd as the Mavericks fell 106 to 105, and he just throws his hands up in the air and walks off the court. If that's not just dramatic, I, I don't know what is. I mean, I don't know what Jason Kidd was thinking drawing that up. I don't know if that was the play call or if it somehow broke down when they saw the set. But, man, I hope that that does not happen again because seeing Luka mad doesn't bode well for the competitiveness probably of the next game that the Mavericks play. But, anyway... The Mavs drop down to 13 and 12, and the Bucks move to 19 and 6. We'll take you around the NBA for Friday night's games. The Timberwolves beat the Jazz 118 to 108. The Pelicans beat the Suns. Man, Phoenix is reeling right now. They haven't won since December 4th. That's six days ago now. And their margins of defeat in the last three have been 19, 27, and tonight they're fortunate it was 11. Man, I hope they can right the ship soon. The Grizzlies picked up a win over the Pistons, 114-103. The Kings defeated the Cavaliers, 106-95. And a dramatic one played out in the first game of the ESPN doubleheader last night. Uh, if you were lucky enough to tune in, the 76ers and Lakers went to overtime to settle their dispute. Definitely go back and give that a replay. The 76ers would eventually take it 133-122. to Moving you up to Brooklyn, the Nets would beat the Hawks in a close one, 120-116. The Pacers beat the Wizards at home, 121-111. And the Knicks cruise past the lovely Hornets, 121-102. Now it is time for a double dose of... 
heavenly performers for Friday. Excuse me. Joel Embiid led the way this week as he had a very solid stat line of 38 points, 5 assists, and 12 rebounds. Pascal Siakam was right behind him with 36 points, 7 assists, 9 rebounds, and a block. Zion continued his assault on the possible MVP discussion, putting in a massive 35 points, 4 assists, and 7 rebounds. And then we had another 76er. DeAnthony Melton. That's right. It wasn't Tyrese Maxey. It wasn't Tobias Harris. It wasn't James Harden. DeAnthony Melton had a career high and put a stamp on that win over the Lakers with 33 points, 4 rebounds, and 2 assists. And to close out our heavenly performers, it's Franz Wagner of the Orlando Magic who impressed in his 33 minutes last night as he put up 34 points, 2 assists, and 5 rebounds. Let's swing you around the league for our leaders and the current standings. Points per game leaders, Luka continues to lead with 32.9 a game. Giannis at 31, basically 32. And the surprise third place person, player, excuse me, again. It's the first pot. I got to get some mistakes in somewhere. We get better as we go. We age like wine. We age like fine wine, okay? Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's right. Oklahoma City Thunder, if you didn't know. 31 points a game. Just so you're aware, his last five, 26, 35, 33, 31, 32. Ball out, young man. If you do not watch the Oklahoma City Thunder and you want to know how that's possible, I advise you, just watch a game, you know? Dive deeper than the national TV games. I'm not going to tell you to sail the high seas, per se, or pirate anything. That's illegal. But, yeah. Okay, too far. (laughs) The assist leaders in the NBA as of Saturday. Tyrese Halliburton comes in at a whopping 11 assists a game. Man, if you don't watch his ball distribution, you should definitely start paying the Pacers some attention. Trey Young comes in at around 10 a game, and Nikola Jokic, no surprise to anyone, 9 a game. Rebounds, the big men. Anthony Davis leads with 12.3 rebounds a game. Clint Bella at 12.2, and Rudy Gobert at 11.9. A fun fact, the average among the top seven rebounders in the NBA right now 11 and a half rebounds a game. Seriously, that's nuts. And finally, the Western Conference and Eastern Conference standings. The Pelicans lead the West at 17 and 8. The Grizzlies are half game back, which means basically 17 and 9. The Suns, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, the Trailblazers, the Clippers, the Warriors, which is very surprising considering championship hangovers and them do not sound synonymous the thunder the lakers the spurs and the rockets round out the western conference at 7 and 18 swinging over to the east we have boston at 21 and a half 21 21 and a half jesus we have boston at 21 wins and five losses the bucks a game and a half back with 19 wins and 6 losses, followed by the Cavs, the Nets, the Pacers, the Sixers, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Raptors, the Heat, the Wizards, the Bulls, the Hornets, the Magic, the Pistons. Round out the Eastern Conference at 7-21. and And finally, your MVP odds board presented to you by Vegas Insider Consensus. Thank you to them. 
Jason Tatum is a plus 254 favorite currently, meaning that if you put $100, you win 254. Giannis is at plus 286, Doncic plus 286, Stephen Curry plus 800, and Joel Embiid rounds out our top five at 1480. So, thank you guys for joining me today for the introduction of Technical Talk. I hope that this was something light, not heavy, and kind of gets you going in the direction and picking up on where I want this podcast to go. This podcast is going to come to you Tuesdays and Saturdays with recaps of the games that were played on Sunday and Monday on Tuesday, obviously, and the recaps of the games that are played on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday on Saturday. As the season rolls along, we'll incorporate more and more analytics to evolve and drive our discussions and evaluations. And I really hope that this can not only be a learning experience for me, but also you, and it will help us gain an increased understanding of the game that we have come to love. This was a really fun episode, guys, and I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends. And I will see you all on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Have a great night. And enjoy. Enjoy.